Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, while most epilepsy patients will respond well to seizure controlling drugs, quite a large number of children and adults do not respond to current available medications. And for them, epilepsy as a condition can range from a serious and potentially dangerous impairment that restricts their quality of life to a completely debilitating illness. A new understanding of what triggers seizures in patients has proven to have clinical implications. Dr. Matthew Campbell, Associate Professor in Trinity's School of Genetics and Microbiology, who undertook the study, joins me now to explain. Welcome to the programme, Matt. Um, uh, remind me exactly, what, what is happening in the brain when someone has a seizure uh, because of epilepsy? Okay, so first of all, thanks, Jonathan, for inviting me on your show. And it's, it's really a pleasure to, to speak to you today about our research. So what happens in the brain d- during a seizure is essentially the, the, the way that the brain works is there are electrical waves that, that allow us to, to, to process thoughts, to move, to talk, to, to see. And during a seizure, what is happening is the electricity in the brain becomes dysregulated. Um, it's almost been described as, you know, you've got a flat cam of an ocean and all of a sudden that ocean turns into a, a, a typhoon and the waves are huge. That's essentially what's happening during a seizure. The electrical activity in the brain is, is becoming dysregulated. And when that happens, it can manifest in seizure activity where people lose control of their body, essentially. Is it essentially the, the electrical connections sort of bleeding out into muscular parts of the brain or, or um, parts of the brain that uh, control motor function? Yeah, so what, what we know in seizures is that the, the, the point of connection of brain cells or neurons that we call the synapses, that they become disrupted during a seizure and during epilepsy. And so essentially the, the, the electrical wiring and the firing of the electrical signal that allows brain cells to communicate with each other becomes disrupted. Um, and w- when that happens, you know, if, if it happens in distinct parts of the brain that are controlling movement, well, then you're going to have a seizure and you won't be able to move anymore. So essentially that, that is what's happening, that, that the electricity is becoming dysfunctional in the brain. Up until um, recently, it wasn't very clear why people had these seizures and what would trigger them. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about our understanding of that? Yeah, so what we do know is that there are some forms of epilepsy that are, you know, they're they're, they're genetic in nature and that we know the exact genetic cause of them. Um, One of the the, the genes that becomes dysregulated in this form of, of epilepsy is called GLUT1. And it's a gene that allows for the transport of glucose into the brain. The brain is really interesting that the brain is one of the only organs that can't store glucose. It needs to have a constant, constant supply of glucose. And mutations or disruptions in the gene GLUT1 um, have been shown to, to drive epilepsy in some rare forms of epilepsy. But for the vast majority of people in Ireland, you know, the 40,000 people in Ireland who have epilepsy, we don't really know the cause of it. Um, we know that in some forms of epilepsy, it's as, as, as a result of traumatic brain injury. So about 10% of people who have a severe traumatic brain injury will go on to develop epilepsy. But again, the vast majority of cases of epilepsy, we don't really know the cause. And that really kind of, you know, stimulated our research where we, we came at epilepsy from a completely different angle. So rather than trying to think of epilepsy as purely a, a, a dysregulation of the neurons, the brain cells, we decided to look at the capillaries, the blood vessels in the brain and ask the question, what do the blood vessels in the brain look like during seizure activity in patients, but also in preclinical models? Tell me how you undertook that research. Yeah, so it was a really, really interesting project. And, and we, we, we kind of went at it from asking clinical questions first. And a lot of the times what, what you see in, 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 in basic research is people do work in cells, they do work in animal models, and then they go to, to human subjects and try to figure out, you know, does their data hold up in human subjects? 
we kind of did it the, the other way around in that we went to, to patients first. We started clinical research in patients in Ireland who were being worked up for surgery. So there, there are some patients basically who have epilepsy so bad that they're having multiple seizures per week. And it's a massive, massive drain on their quality of life. And they can't, they can't hold down steady jobs because they're constantly having seizures. So in, in Dublin, the greater Dublin area, about 80 patients per year are worked up for neurosurgery where the neurologists are able to identify the exact site in the brain where the, where the seizure is emanating from. And working with neurologists and neurosurgeons in Ireland, these, these patients um, have the tissue, the brain tissue, surgically removed. And it's an incredibly successful surgery um, in that some patients go from having, you know, 10 seizures a week to having zero seizures a week. Um, it works very well. But the, the caveat of it, of it is, is that it's neurosurgery. You know, no, no neurosurgical technique is, is without risk. So what we decided to do, working with Professor Colin Doherty in St. James's Hospital, who I've been collaborating with for the past 12 years, we decided that we would do brain scans on these patients before and after surgery. Now, while the patients were lying in an MRI scanner to take high resolution pictures of their brain, we injected a dye into their vein. And this dye lights up the blood vessels and tells us whether the blood vessels are intact or whether the blood vessels are leaky. And across the board, in all the patients that we, we scanned, all of their blood vessels were leaky. And it wasn't just the site of where the seizure was starting from. The entire brain was flooded with this dye, suggesting that the blood vessels in the brain or the so-called blood-brain barrier was very, very leaky. Now, incredibly, what we discovered was that in the months after their surgery, when they went and got surgical resection of the, the site of the seizure in Beaumont Hospital, and they came back and got scanned again, the blood vessels in the brain had completely healed. They'd completely gone back to normal. And to us, that suggested that finding ways to restore the integrity of the blood vessels in the brain could be a really, really novel way of treating seizures, not just for, 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 for people who are resistant to therapy, but for general epilepsy. So it's kind of opened up this completely new avenue of research that looks at epilepsy rather than specifically looking at it as a neuronal condition. We're looking at it as a cerebrovascular condition. So we're trying to understand what is the cerebrovascular health in the brain like in epilepsy patients. In, in the case of the blood-brain barrier, if, if this, um, this protective layer uh, that prevents toxins from getting into our brain, if that's leaky, would we not have seen a more um, higher proportion of epilepsy patients um, get other types of neuronal disease such as MS and so on? Yeah, well, the, the difference be between MS and epilepsy, I suppose, is that MS is very, very localized blood-brain barrier disruption. Um, you know, it's got these focal points of what we call sclerotic lesions that light up. And then the, the thing with MS as well is that you get this resolution of blood-brain barrier disruption, that the barrier opens and then it closes again. In epilepsy, from our data, it seemed that the barrier was always open, that these patients had a very, very susceptible blood vessel, a, a, a blood-brain barrier. And just to, to, to talk a little bit about the blood-brain barrier, the, the, the blood-brain barrier is this, it's a concept as opposed to a thing. The blood-brain right. barrier is, is, is what's used to describe cells that line the blood vessels in the brain, the endothelial cells. They have properties unlike any other cells in the body in that they really tightly regulate what gets into and out of the brain on a daily basis. And that's for good reason, because if you get bacteria or viruses in, into the brain, it's kind of game over. You know, you, you don't want viruses or bacteria in your brain. So these blood vessels have, have evolved to be so, so tightly packed together that the endothelial cells really tightly regulate what gets into and out of the, the brain. And that concept is called the blood-brain barrier. 
So it's really just the, the idea of the properties that endothelial cells have. And you're right. I mean, th- there are loads of neurological conditions that, that have blood-brain barrier disruption as, as a hallmark pathology. And the exciting thing about our research is that, you know, we're, we're trying to apply technologies of restoring barrier integrity across the board. So to MS, as you mentioned, to glioblastoma, uh, grade four brain tumors, to Alzheimer's disease, a whole range of brain conditions have blood-brain barrier disruption as their hallmark pathology. How are we doing with that? Because as you've described it there, it sounds like there is a, a huge potential um, for, for fixing this leakiness of the, the brain barrier. Do we have medication that uh, already targets something like this from some other conditions? Yeah, so w- one of the drugs, the classic drugs that can restore barrier integrity is, is um, steroids. So steroids are really, really good at, at doing the, and this isn't the anabolic steroids that the bodybuilders take. You know, this is this is dexamethasone and, and steroids that, that that are used to treat inflammation. But the problem with steroids is that they're they're quite a dirty drug. You know, they're 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 they've got a lot of side effects, um, and they're really not targeted. So in the 21st century, the buzzword that everyone is using is gene therapy, and so what gene therapy involves basically is taking a very, very safe virus. So we're moving away from SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. This is not that type of virus. It's taking a very, very safe virus that's used as sort of a a Trojan horse. What we do is we can package any gene into that virus and then introduce the virus into a human subject. And essentially what we're doing is we're we're in a very, very targeted way. We can take any component of the blood-brain barrier and pop it into a virus and then infect endothelial cells in the brain and restore barrier integrity. So that's really the, the direction that, that my lab is taking at the moment, trying to identify and develop very, very targeted approaches to restore barrier integrity. And, you know, as I mentioned, th- this has applications far beyond epilepsy, that, that we believe that, that this type of approach of a targeted restoration of blood vessel integrity in the brain could treat a whole plethora of neurological conditions. One of the things that you mentioned is that this treatment uh, could work not just for those who are unresponsive to medication, but also those who are taking medication, but that medication may affect their quality of life. For example, some um, epilepsy medications may mean that you can't conceive children uh, safely. And so there, there are certain um, restrictions, even when someone is managing their epilepsy properly, right? That's right. I mean, there, there are some patients that, that, that we know and, and we've met and that my colleague Colin Doherty deals with that they would prefer to have seizures than to take medication because the side effects of the medication can be so severe. Um, one of the most common um, drugs, anti-epileptic drugs that's on the market called levetiracetam or Keppra does have some sort of side effects that, that you know, associate with psychosis, that patients can experience psychosis. So while they don't have seizures, they're kind of flipping over to having psychosis. Um, and so, yeah, they, they can be quite difficult to deal with a lot of these these um, these side effects. But suffice to say, you know, 70 percent of patients do respond to therapy. So epilepsy is kind of a, it's one of those neurological conditions that it's actually amazing that it does have drugs that work. You know, there are so many neurological conditions like motor neuron disease and Parkinson's disease to a certain extent that really the medications aren't sufficient. So, you know. Epilepsy is, is a condition that 70% of people do respond to, but it's that 30% of people that don't respond is the problem. And the problem is that 30% of people in Ireland, for example, represents about 15,000 people. And that's 15,000 people who are having seizures when they're on the bus on the way into work, on the, the train, you know, and when they have a seizure and bang the head, they end up in, in, in hospital. They end up in the emergency department. And so, yeah. you know, you're talking about 6,000 hospital admissions per year from patients who have uncontrolled epilepsy. So. 
One of the real breakthroughs of this year from a medical point of view was in MS. And we uh, we found out that a, uh, a very common virus, Epstein-Barr, was sort of a core component. If you have Epstein-Barr, you can go on to have MS. Uh, but without it, you are very unlikely to. And it has um, obviously precipitated a lot of thinking, a lot of research in, into MS as to why um, why is that? And I'm wondering with this new research that you've had looking at the the vascular leakiness of of this blood brain barrier, I'm wondering will that give you any insight as to why the the, the the current medications that do work work, or is that mechanism already very well understood? Yeah, that's a really really good question. I, I think that the way I would kind of answer that is when, when we're looking at blood vessels in the brain and trying to relate pathology like MS or epilepsy, I think it's really important to note that anyone can get MS, okay? It's the same with epilepsy, that anyone can get epilepsy. We all have a threshold beyond which our blood vessels and our brain cells will have a seizure, okay? So I find that really interesting from a disease and that, you know, it's such a well-characterized disease, but that anyone walking planet Earth can actually have a seizure. And I think what the way that we look at it is that from a person-specific context, everyone has a threshold. So everyone's blood vessels have a threshold beyond which you will have a seizure. So for instance, you, Jonathan, could have a threshold that's way higher than mine. So your blood vessels could become really, really leaky. But if my blood vessels were as leaky, I would have a seizure. But you wouldn't because your threshold is much higher than, than mine. So I, I think that, that that can probably be applied to a whole range of neurological conditions like Alzheimer's disease, like a whole range of dementias, traumatic brain injury, for instance. So you know, what, why on a rugby field, for instance, when two people get hit with the same force, why does one person get concussed and the other person doesn't? it's likely due to that threshold in effect that one person's brain cells or brain vasculature is just stronger or tighter than the others. And that, that's a real theme that we're working on in our lab, you know, because that will lead to precision medicine, ultimately identifying those individuals who a therapy will definitely work for based on their threshold compared to one that, that it likely won't work, work for. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and congratulations on the research. It's great to see a movement in uh, such an important condition for so many people. Uh, Dr. Matthew Campbell, Associate Professor in Trinity School of Genetics and Microbiology. Thanks very much for joining us. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.